Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast of a bunch of writers sitting around, drinking, and talking about writing, publishing, and the creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Your psychopomps tonight are Chaz and Karen Brenchley, John Schmidt, and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 71, Putting a Toe in the Water. We are gathered here to take about talk about openings and beginnings and the best first lines we ever read and what they did for us and how to use a first line and the care and thought maybe you should put into a first line. Start start us off, Karen. Tell us about your favorite sci-fi and fantasy ones. So I've got a few here that I find they're just so evocative when you, you know, if you, you will know what they are just by hearing them or who they're from. Um, and and so these are very good examples. So the first is, in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Yeah, I mean, that can't go anywhere else, um, except the entirety of Tolkien's work thereafter. Um, do you know how he came to write that? No. Excellent. Let me tell you a story. <laughs> hey. um, yay. So Tolkien was, as everyone knows, an Oxford professor. Um, and as everyone knows, the burden of the academic life is great and and wearisome and one day he was marking exams um and and he turned over page after page after page and made marks um and and finally he said he turned over one more page and beheld the most glorious thing an examiner can ever see, which is a blank sheet of paper, <laughs> something he actually didn't have to read and mark. Um, and he sat there and gazed at it, just resting his eyes for a moment, and took up his pen and wrote on it, in a hole, in the ground, there lived a hobbit. And the whole of that particular book flowed from that particular moment. Excellent. So that's a very good example of of hitting your first line, the right first line, right off the bat. Okay. So here like is... a unicorn. Here, yeah. It's, well, <laughs> no, no, it's like a it hobbit. <laughs> it's like a hobbit. Sorry. Anyway. Okay, next line is, Lot 97, the auctioneer announced a boy. So it's from Citizen of the Galaxy by Robert A. Heinlein. And in fact, one of the main characters bought the boy, and the boy became... The, the protagonist, of the, the, protag- the protagonist of the story, the entire story, and so on. But I love that. I just because because especially that's not what you expect. You do not expect children to be sold at auction. I mean, it was totally out of the blue. It set. It made you know that you were not where you are now. Well, it, 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 depending yeah. on where the reader was. Again, this assumes the gaze of the person reading it is in a land where that would be unusual. Yeah. But this is a, yeah, but this is a this is a science fiction novel published in the United States. Yeah. So in the nineteen fifties, I'm thinking. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, another one is it was a pleasure to burn. Fahrenheit four fifty one, Ray Bradbury. Again, creepy. Um, you know, because it's a science fiction novel that because it's it's going to have ace paperback or something like that. I mean, or spaceships on the cover or whatever. So at, at the time it was published, you knew it was a science fiction novel. It wasn't, a, you know, a modern day. But the you know, first uh, line beautifully tied in with the title, too. Yes. 
Yes. I mean, you don't, you didn't know, I mean, many people don't know what Fahrenheit 451 may or may not represent in any way, but it's nobody, nobody knew that before he published the book. Um, yeah, the temperature at which paper starts to burn, nobody knew except people who actually burn paper professionally. Um, (laughs) and measured it exactly. And so, yeah, that was. That that was beautifully done. I mean, it's Ray Bradbury. He can he can do beautiful things. He just is. He's just, allowed. He's just gorgeous. He's he's, gorgeous. he's allowed to be better than we are. Damn it! He's not listening. You don't have to flatter him. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still true, even though he is no longer listening. So, well, if, so, if you're going to flirt, I'll flirt with a dead person. If you're going to flirt with a dead person, no. So you 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 do not know of the of the song and the video that was made oh that was made before his death. Um, I, so if there's children in the room, cover your ears. I want to fuck you, Ray Bradbury. You're not a, and, he, and it was a video and it was dancing and he loved it. They showed it. To it's him. a lovely it. song. It's <laughs> beautiful. It is just beautiful. So anyway, moving on. It was a bright, cold night in April and all the clocks were striking 13, 1984 by George Orwell. And again, it's a subtle, I like this one because it was a subtle Thing. It was a, a slightly thing. It just things are slightly off because, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was a child in, I was a teenager in England in the 1970s when I first read this at school. Um, and, you know, we had 24-hour clocks, but obviously none of them struck 13 because that was a different kind of clock. Um, the clocks of the strike only strike 12. Um, so it was, it was a hugely, it's a hugely powerful sentence. It's a much more powerful sentence than, than people really register. Um, but though it has to be said that being a teenager, um, I was much taken also with the line that follows, which is all about the tobacco falling out of his cigarette. But so again, George Orwell. These are all these are all masters. These last four. They, I mean, I mean, all of these are first. by. I mean, these first four. Um, but the, uh, I mean, all of these are from very good, very very good writers. So the next one is slightly longer, but limp. The body of Gorister hung from the pink pallet, unsupported, hanging high above the in the computer chamber, and it did not shiver in the chill, oily breeze that blew eternally through the main cavern. That sets us up. This is a short story that won multiple awards and whatever. I have no mouth and I must scream by Harlan Ellison. And that is, in fact, the last line of the story. Sorry about the spoiler. (laughs) But that sets the setting beautifully because it is a very weird, twisted world. I'm doing this, comparing it with George Orwell, who has the clock striking 13. You know it's a different environment a different place there are clocks they strike and they strike 13 the, that's the weirdness if, if you read the harlan ellison one you know you are not in downtown main street okay um you know you know when especially it's called i have no mouth and i must scream it might be a serial killer so anyway john were you going to say something i'm going to say a couple things if i can get away with it first of all you're you're definitely talking of these first lines as setting the atmosphere of an other, of unsettling you from the atmosphere you're in. I have a couple first lines that I want to throw at you. Hmm? I said, yay. So 
if you could guess this, I will reveal it in a second. I think you can easily because these, and you're right. You're so totally right. These set the tone and often the first character. So first one, first line, the deliverator belongs to an elite order, a hallowed subcategory. He's got his spirit up to there. What was the first two words? The deliverator. Yeah. Don't know. Don't know. Second and third lines. Right now, he's preparing to carry out his third mission of the night. His uniform is black as activated charcoal, filtering the very light out of the air. Still don't know. I don't think I've read it. What is it? Snow Crash. It's the introduction to the oh! delivery guy. Right, you are. I love Snow Crash, but I have yep. not read it in for like for a, yeah in many years. I must reread it. Really? But it, but, yeah. But the the point is, is it sets up our hero, who our yeah, protagonist, totally. who is of course hero protagonist, hero as protagonist. a little <laughs> bit of a a jackass, which yes. is accurate. And my second line, you probably won't know, but it is my favorite first line of all times because pretty much every line in this book is my favorite. Once upon a time in a gloomy castle on a lonely hill where there were 13 clocks that wouldn't go, there lived a cold, aggressive duke and his niece, the Princess Sarah Linda. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, is this Ursula Vernon? No. Oh, no. Really? Oh. Okay. No. <laughs> That's you're really guessing that because he likes her so much. I'm I'm doing the dance of victory because it is Vernon-esque. But okay. no, this is James Thurber, 1950. Oh, really? It, the, and the story is, of course, The Thirteen Clocks. Okay. Ah, I've heard of that. Yeah, The Thirteen Clocks was ringing a bell, but but I have not, again, read uh, that. Uh, uh, so I see what you yeah. did there. Yeah. That's good. She was warm in every wind and weather, but he was always cold. So as you point out, um, it's interesting, though, the first lines you read, and this I did not plan this, I swear, it, on, on my writer's art, as small as it is. The third, first lines you read all set the environment to be a little different. The first lines I read all set the primary characters, whether protagonist or antagonist, to be different. I just find that interesting. It is interesting. Well, that's what, so if, 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 so the next ones, though, that I have do, in fact, set the character. That was one of the things I wanted to discuss. Mm. So you, you oh. brilliantly yeah. jumped right into my, into my. Um, Please design. bring them on. It, it may be it may be a genre thing. I've got a thing. middle one for you that I before we move on that sort of is that same. I love her soliloquin, so I have to say, there is neither darkness nor death, for all things are in the light of the moment, and their end and their beginning are one. That's very yeah. That's, that's the left hand good. of darkness. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes. And, well, and that's and, an interesting point because she's she is. This is a different. She's setting a theme, I think, rather than a place exactly. or a person. Yeah, and I like that. She I set like you that. into a philosophical, I see, I'm going to have to think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very good. And she's just the, the master of that. She's just the master. Um, I, I've, got, yeah, I've got a couple of the others that fall, you know, less in the sci-fi and fantasy, so I'll hold them. But they were very much some of my favorite first lines set, oh, what am I going to, I'm going to have to think about something different this book. So again, it takes me out of my everyday and into what does she mean by that? I must read on. Well, okay. Well, good. So I've got, so I'm going to completely jump out of um, fantasy at this point. And we will, we will go through to William Faulkner, who my mother wrote her PhD thesis on. Mm. So the, the first line of this novel is through the fence between the curling flower spaces, I could see them hitting from The Sound and the Fury by William Faulkner. Yeah. 
And so again, it's not it's it's in a it's in a place, it's the people that are doing something that's odd. The place there's a fence, there's curling flower spaces, it's it's you know, it's just you know. Yeah, that is the most disruptive sentence of everyone that's been offered so far, I think. It's it breaks the language as much as it breaks your expectations. Mm-hmm. Karen is making gestures to me. Saying, go on. Implying go on. that I should say more. And, and, and I thought I had stopped. Oh, um, <laughs> be, more, be more erudite. Keep going. <laughs> Sound and the Fury is an extraordinary book. Um, and one that I treasure. My father introduced me to Faulkner um, when I was a teenager, when I was at boarding school. And... Um, it was it was a revelation to have something to read that was completely orthogonal to anything else that I was reading. Um, but yeah, I mean that's a, yeah through the fence, sure. Between the curling flower spaces, okay. So so curls flowers and then spaces. Um, it's a it's a peculiar phrase. Um, I could see them hitting. He doesn't say he could see them hitting each other. He doesn't say what they're hitting. He doesn't say who they are. I love that. It's so potent and so... It's not otherworldly, but it's... It's... it's. Uh, there needs to be a word for something that is not my world while remaining a part, clearly a part of this world. Disruptive. Disruptive was the word I used earlier, and yes... Um, that absolutely. Um, yeah, I could read Faulkner until the cows come home. Yeah. I think well, sometimes it seems like they give you lines that it's like, was, was this old tribal wisdom that was handed down from father? <laughs> the do- I mean, <laughs> here's, here's one that I bet everybody will know. All happy families are alike. Yeah. yeah. Each <laughs> unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Yes. Yep. That was Tolstoy. Yes, it was. And, and that's the first time I read that, I'm like, wasn't that written in the Stone Ages or something? That has to be the most <laughs> universally true thing. How have I never read this before? Yes. Well, it, it, it sounds, it's, it's almost become a cliche because it's so well known, but it's still so true. I mean, you read that and you think, oh, Aunt Martha, yeah, and oh, yeah, and oh, Dad, and, you know, and things like that. It's like, oh, so, yeah, that's a brilliant one. It's a brilliant one. I have a Gabriel Garcia Marquez one. Okay. Many years later, as he faced the firing squad, General Aureliano uh, Buendia was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. That seems a thing one might do facing one's death. 100 years of solitude. That's what that's from. So... Is any of you have any of you read this? I just encountered this and said, "Wow, um, now I want to read it." But it's uh, but that's one I, of the pieces, isn't it? You want it to be the hook. What what demands that the reader read more? This is why I suck at first lines. I'm still trying to get better at them. Okay, um, see, I I I have a whole sheet here of my own first lines. Yay! Uh, from Yay. A, from, they are from a very limited prospectus. Because these are the first lines of stories that I have published, stories that have not yet been published, and stories that I've not yet finished. Some of them only exist as a first line. And they're all drawn from um, my particular focus at the moment, which, of course, is um, Mars as a province of the British Empire. Um, 
And I don't know. You see, I'm not embarking on a story with with the goal of a first line that will hook a reader. I'm embarking on a story with the goal of a first line that will hook a writer, who is me, hmm. so that I want to go on writing the story. Um, I don't know what the story is ever. I've, if, if I have a title and a first line, then then I'm good to go. If I don't have a title, meh. Um, sometimes I will and sometimes I won't, which is why some of these just fall flat. Um, but... Yeah, okay, you see, I really like this. Um, after the war, she was surprised to find herself a civilian again, surprised and a little alarmed to learn how poorly she appeared to fit that space, that character, that task. The hole had been rounded, it seemed, while she herself had been squared. That's all I have. I, I do not know what I was thinking when I wrote that, because there were no... There were no notes to follow that. There's no suggestion of what the story might have been. Um, and there sounds, wasn't a title. Um, it, it, so it, I, it sounds like something like the, the start of the Bletchley Circle, because immediately I think yeah. of all of the women who had yeah. meaningful occupational jobs Absolutely. where they used their brains and exciting things. And hello, housework. Yes. No, absolutely. I'm sure that's what I was thinking, but I don't know where I was going. And um, without a title or any other help, it hasn't gone anywhere else so far, but who knows? It sounds to me like a, uh, a um, not Molly's, but the other one, the other bar. She's someone who's going to walk into the bar. Okay. Duly noted. Huh. Um, then there's, never did a man hanged see such a funeral. That was a good story. That certainly <laughs> sets you in the place perfectly, um, too. That was a I, story. I, I do like that. Um, it, is, it is a story I finished. It was a story that was published. It's a story that was picked up for a couple of years' best collections. Chaz, tell us the name of the story. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so um, when I was a kid, um, my father was the one of my parents who introduced me to English literature. That's a super long title. One of the <laughs> one of the pieces that he he introduced me to is it's a poem by Charles Wolfe um, called "The Burial of Sir John Moore at Corona," um, and it has stayed with me, yeah, since I was a kid. And not a drum was heard, not a funeral note as his course to the rampart we hurried, um, but. I was thinking about that, I guess, and I was thinking about Mars, and and um, this is this is a story called uh, the burial of Sir John Moore at Cassini. Um, Cassini being the crater city, it's it's a city built around the crater, and um, the water falls down to a pool below, and in the pool below is an island, and that's where the English bury their dead. Um, because that's what Mars is like. Um, and, and I don't remember at this time um, how this whole notion came to me of a man who could be both hanged as a traitor and celebrated in, in burial. But there he is. Um, and, and I really, yeah, I, I, I like that. It was the first of my Mars stories to be published, and I really like it. And I recommend it. It's an excellent story, and I recommend it. And we'll have to put it in the links so other people can find it. Sure. 
It reminds me of the Chinese legend that they did a movie of, of the, the one who betrayed, you know, he, he was a betrayer. He was sent to kill the king, but he didn't. And they all shot him full of arrows and then gave him a hero's funeral because he had to die. But right. yeah, no, absolutely. Um, that, is, that is very much the, the principle here, though it's complicated. And I'm not going to explain it because I'd spoil the story. Yes. So there's that. Right. Um, and then you see, okay, so there are three principal cities on Mars, on, in the province of Mars. Um, New Victoria is all politics and bureaucracy, claret and cognac, the very core of empire, off-world imports and not even imperial products, which is actually rather the point. Cassini is art and aristocracy, port and champagne. Ditto, ditto. Marsport, though. Ah, now. Marsport is gin. The most democratic of drinks, the most democratic of cities. Um, I love that thing where you give a city a character. Um, and if you have a, a limited number of cities to play with, you can play with that uh, to an extent that when you're dealing with the real world, you're not quite so free because... All the cities on Earth have been established for a long time, and and they're all rather more various. But um, on Mars, I can keep things tolerably separate um, because it just takes time to fill a planet. Um, so yeah, um, and <laughs> the, the whole thing about Mars Port and Gin came out of a completely different story. Um, and but I love yeah, Mars Port is the it's the first city of mars it's the rough city of mars it's it's where everybody comes first and then they will split off to um to other um to other destinations but marsport is a place you pass through unless you're one of those people who chooses to stay um home is the place where if you have to go there they have, they have to, to take, take you, you in. in yes Exactly that. Um, I have another story which is still currently. I mean, the the, the bit I just read about claret and cognac and so forth. Um, that is again, it's just a snatch. That's all I've got. I I do not know where that is going. If it's going anywhere at all. Um, but this other story. He said which, snatch. Yeah, I did. I'm sorry. I've been drinking wine here. This is great. Me too. <laughs> but he's, he's British. He's allowed to say snatch. I, mean, I am allowed red, to say snatch. It doesn't mean to us what it means to you, though we know what you mean when you coffee. say it. Not um, 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 I, I have this whole unfinished but actually quite long at this point story called Roni de Vere and the Traveller in Gin. You see, there's gin again. Um, and the opening line of that is, Marsport is hell, he said, and all the devils of England have made their squalid nests there. Which is another view of Marsport. I, I love like Marsport. it. I yeah, like it. it's, it's, it's the city I write about all the time, because it is, it's the rough one. Yeah, that's, that's something that, it, you know, that, that's one of the things that opening, it's, it's who stories are what who what when where why or whatever this we've been talking about other, that is an approach to how how you want to start your story is you what you want to focus on and these are focusing on 
where, but it gives them, it gives, it also gives it a who. The the where becomes a who as yeah. well, and that adds so much depth to the rest of the story. Even if you know, even as the human characters go around about in it. Yeah, um, there may be there may be an instinctive science fiction stroke fantasy um, thing in play there, where you feel you need to establish where you are before you start establishing who is there. I want to muck with this because in the same way, there's a first line from a very famous book and you'll know immediately the book and you know immediately he wrote it just by the way the words fit together, but I'm going to change it and see if you know who I'm mocking. That's cheating. We were somewhere around Marsport at the edge of the crater when the drugs began to take (laughs) hold. Uh, That's true gonzo journalism. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Fear and loathing in Mars. Mars Phobos <laughs> and Demos and the orbit thereof. That's right. I, I do, there I was do. lying flat on my back as Demos was high overhead. How did I get here? I wondered. <laughs> yes. You see, um, you know at that point that this is gonzo journalism because he's coming in from outside because nobody on Mars talks about Phobos and Demos. Because it's not part of the British Empire. They have been they were lost to the Russians in the war. Damn their eyes. So we do not talk about them. <laughs> but you see what I mean, though? It has a, I, I was starting yeah, absolutely. to There's the first yeah, yeah, line yeah. of something, and it reminds me of, of music, because there are some songs and some guitar players that you know, if, even if you've never heard the album, you've never heard the song, yeah. you can say, that's, that's God's own guitar player right there. That's Dave Gilmore. Or, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is a Hendrix song, and I just know it the way that starts, the way, mm-hmm. you know, if you think about, oh, what, what was her name? It is a truth universally acknowledged that... Jane <laughs> Austen. Jane Austen. <laughs> exactly, and each of those is taking, sort of saying, just the simple, the way the phrase is gone becomes its own piece over and over again, as... You can find a phrase and you run with it, but it'll always have that original, you know, the door resembled nothing so much as an open salami sliced in half with pieces. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yes. Well, that's so, the beginning. That's part of what literature is and, and poetry as well is it's a, it's an ongoing discussion between the writers back and forth. No, absolutely. Um, a genre is a conversation. Um, Sci- a- any science fiction book is in conversation with the books that ca- came before and, and indeed those books that are going to come after, though we don't know what they are. Um, but it is, it is also true, um, openings, openings are difficult. Um, some people, some people not me, express a fear of the blank page, um, a, a trouble with beginning. Um, I don't have that, um, but what I do have, <laughs> what I do have is um, a what Jeff Ryman, um, my buddy Jeff Ryman, one of the world's greatest science fiction writers currently working. Um, he calls, he says that writers have a tendency to clear their throats um, to open a story with a statement um, that doesn't actually need to be there. Um, and, and I do that all the time. 
Um, and sometimes I hang on to I have one story which has three separate beginnings, one after another. Um, and Jeff, had he had control of it, would so have stripped away at least two of them and probably all three. Um, I mean, this, the, as an example, again, going back to my own work, I'm sorry, but there you go. Um, and this is how a story that has not yet been published opens. A secret is like a bubble of air underwater always pushing outward at the containing dark, always struggling to rise, yearning to break, to be open, lost, gone. Jeff would have me cut that. I really like it, and it, it expresses the entirety of the story that follows, um, because it's all about secrets and, 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 and what happens if they're not. Um, and But is that giving away the end of it versus is that like... Yeah, but- Bradbury Again, tied it go, to the title or tied it to yeah, sure. the moment. But, but we go, I mean, you, you, if you worry about giving away the ending, then you go back to Harlan Ellison, I have no mouth and I must scream. Um, that's the ending. That's the last line, as Karen pointed out earlier. Um, it is not always a bad thing to give the reader a hint at the start where the story is going. I'm, I'm, I do not worry about spoilers. Uh, this is literature we're talking about. It's not about, gosh, I, I surprised you there, didn't I? Well, some, some genres, um, it is about, I surprised you there, didn't I? Uh, it shouldn't be. Um, if you can't reread a book and get as much pleasure from it the second time when you know how it ends, then there's an issue with the book, mm. I contend. Okay. I, I'm willing to agree with that, even though the genres mentioned... Uh, have pop scares or witticisms but truly in in reading up for this i realized that all my favorite opening lines it's been said here beautifully are the opening riffs of my favorite guitarists and if i don't know them sometimes i just i mean we don't even have to name the people i i worship as writers and they're all very distinct on how they open stories that's true well they very distinct styles time to figure out how how you clear your throat and do you have it as the clear leave the clearing of your throat, or do you start with the orchestra? Where do you where do you start? And and I don't think that there's any right answer to this. I think it's just a worthy yeah. question to sit and ponder. Absolutely, I I I, I am suddenly advocating to bring back the overture. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, in in the theatre, we go we go to a musical, and for ten or fifteen minutes, the orchestra plays at us, and the curtain doesn't rise. And that's okay, because that's, it's a part of the whole damn thing. Well, it also depends, though, on whether it's a short story or a novel or that mm. kind of thing. Because, yeah. because sometimes you want, you want tight and quick. Sometimes you want expansive. It depends mm. on the story you're sometimes. telling. Um, there, are you, one of, you, you know that there were those lists of bracket famous author, close brackets, rules for writing. Yeah. Um, and one of those, I think it's Elmore Leonard, said, always start as close to the end as you can, which is an interesting theory, and sometimes it has a validity. But it's like, I mean, again, that comes, it comes back to one of my great bugbears. I used to teach on an MFA um, in creative writing, and um, everyone else on the faculty was a proponent of 
less is more. And this is what they taught the kids. And I would wander into the class and be the heretic and say, you know, sometimes less is just less. Um, sometimes you need the divagations, the burgeoning, the strength of an upbuilding. It was um, the best of times. It was the worst of times. Right. It was, yeah. <laughs> that yeah, no, absolutely. is the longest freaking opening that doesn't get to the point ever. And yet... It's yes. wonderful. It's, you remember it. It, it, it well, does. Again, it's the guitar solo. It's 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 one of those ones that starts with a long guitar solo and then very slowly breaks into words. Well, another thing too is we were talking first lines. Okay, Chaz, Chaz did like three first lines and stuff. But you don't having a punch somewhere soon soon if you want to catch them and grab them. But I have one more example, and it's from a mystery series. Um, Let's end on a mystery then. It, but it uh, it begins with, my name is Kinsey Milhone. I'm a private investigator, licensed by the state of California. I'm 32 years old, twice divorced, no kids. The day before yesterday, I killed someone, and the fact weighs heavily on my mind. That's from A is for Alibi by um, Sue Grafton, who I'm Sue so Grafton. sad. She's she did she got all the way through Y and got cancer, but she was going to do Z is for zero and start over with numbers. Um, well, that's what she said, at least. Oh, she, that's what she told me in a lift uh, when she was about it. I is for whatever I was oh, for. I've, I've, I know about other people. She's told other yeah, people. Like, she, I'm sure. I, 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 anyway. think, I think it was just the riff that she had on the tip of her tongue to say when people said, what are you going to do after you finish that? Yes. However, the point is, we got, we, she kind of did, you know, oh, this is kind of, you know, this is who I am, blah, blah, blah. And then there's a little bit of a punch then when you're not expecting it. It is. And I think we may have to come back and talk about prologues and other different ways of beginning that are not the quick hook, but the slow rise of the orchestra. So uh, what's it? Ah, I vote we meet back and talk again. Prologues. Prologues. Meanwhile, I will put link. Oh, sorry. Did you have one more, John? I have one more. It is the, the, well, it's a major first line. I won't say it's not the first first line, but it's the first line I really remember. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Hmm. I could, yeah, I could sing that for you, but I won't. Thank you. But yeah, like, then that's and somebody a, else said, and then Terry Pratchett said, which everybody agreed was maybe a bad idea. Oh, wait, that wasn't Terry Pratchett. <laughs> yes. Douglas Adams. <laughs> yes, that's Douglas Adams. But yeah. But yeah, yes, I mean, that's a very good point. That's a very good point, John. Well, we'll, we'll put links to all of these stories and novels that we, of course, think you should all read on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. We answer email. Please reach out and let us know, what are your favorite first lines? Do you regularly win the game library? You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre McGaffey-Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is Dave Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. You can hear more from Michael Engberg on ManyHatsMusic.com. Our podcast sponsors are Jackal Designs and The Bean Scene in downtown Sunnyvale. And hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.